0: Welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is week number two of our Halloween play readings. Our playwright this week is Arthur M. Jolly, and his play is titled Zombified. Our cast is Arthur Bicknell as the boss, Tennerman, Mike Davey as his right-hand man, Tyler, Rachel Hockett as Janet, the executive assistant, and Milo Bohack as Libby, the mail clerk. Our play opens just outside Tournament's corner office as Tyler approaches.
1: Janet, he's back? Mr. Tyler, yes, sir. He's in his office. When did he get back? Never mind, I have to... You can't just go in. Oh, come on in, Tyler. Where you been? Sorry, I'm late. That new receptionist, she's hopeless. Fouled up the schedule,
2: never told me you'd
1: already returned, and with the state of the company, how was
2: your trip, sir? I found it, Tyler. I found the ultimate source of some dark voodoo powers, and it works. The
1: numbers for the last quarter came in.
2: Now, where are we on the scale?
1: If I could just give you the fundamental: uh, We're
2: on the deep crap scale.
1: What's after elephant crap?
2: Rhinoceros.
1: I thought rhinoceros came before elephant.
2: Now reverse that.
1: Elephants are bigger.
2: Rhinoceri crap more. Less efficient digestive system, like longhorns and hogs. Where are we? Whale crap, tyrannosaurus crap, we're off the scale. To fire someone.
1: That won't change anything.
2: Call the herd, Tyler. Chase down the slowest gazelle and leave the carcass bleeding in the sun. As a warning, makes the others run faster. We're
1: hemorrhaging money. Uh, Our credit line has been slashed. We're we're spiraling down. Not anymore. I have the power. You need to think about your assets. Everything you own is tied up in this company, and
2: you go gallivanting across the world on, on some safari. Do you ever wonder why I go to the other side of the world? To hunt? There's a big game right here in Texas, yet I always return to the Quartermain Lodge in the butthole corner of Togo. Sir, this company, your company, is bankrupt. Pain to get to. Mediocre hunting. Lousy cook. How does a place like that in business? How do they get a name for themselves? By thinking big, Tyler, by offering what the other fella don't. Humans.
1: <laughs> but,
2: After uh, the war, but, they put on human hunts. Uh, Some uh, local the village, dirt poor, starving, nominates themselves a town hero. But, he how- goes out, gives you a run for your money, stalk him, track him through the veld. Damn exciting! Then at the end of it, the hunt fee goes to the village. Everybody wins, uh, except the uh, poor uh, some bitch that drew the short straw, of course. <laughs> you did that? Oh, only once. Their government put a kibosh on it pretty quick, but I still go back there loyally to the idea. You actually. Oh, thinking big, Tyler. That's the key. Look here, Tyler. My private safe. That's the fella's skull. Didn't seem right to stick it up on the trophy wall somehow. Clean shot, am I right? Straight through his forehead. This weren't no vacation, Tyler. I was after big game. Oh, the biggest there is. You ever hear of a pounding rock? A pounding rock, Tyler. Closes the door to the afterworld. Casts out the undead. Every mud hut village west of the Niger has one. How did you get it past customs? Oh, the skull ain't important. It was to him. I was making a point about business. We have an opportunity. Why does one need a pounding rock to cast out the undead? I have no idea what you're talking about. Because somewhere, there's some bitch who knows a way to make him. And I found him. I found the way, Tyler. And you and I, we're going to use it. We're going to bust that door wide open and march to glory through it. Oh, look at this, Tyler. Is that a mask and a spear? Yeah, a tribal mask, carved out of a single piece of wood, stained with sacrificial blood. The spear's wicked sharp, too. This is the future of this company, Tyler, my boy. The dang future! Why,
1: Why are you putting on the mask? I don't think you should wear that. What if Jim down in accounting saw you?
2: Well, Jim's from Detroit. You think just because he's African American, he's got some ancestral heritage that he. It just looks wrong. Oh, this ain't, this ain't the thing, that racial thing, Tyler. It's embarrassing. I ain't chanting or dancing around making fun of everybody. I just happen to be wearing some artifacts from a proud and glorious culture. Now, send Libby in so I can poke him with a spear. It's wrong. It's perfectly safe. The mask protects the shaman. That's me. The spear does all the work. Sir! Th- send him in!
1: <clears throat> um, could you send Libby in, Janet? Thanks.
2: What do you mean, poke him? Well, how the hell do you think we're gonna bring him back from the other side if he ain't there to start, are we? What? <laughs> Dude. <laughs> what, what's, what's with the get-up? <laughs> oh, there you are. Now this won't hurt a bit. Oh! Oh! Ah! Oh, you, you stabbed me! In and out, Tyler, quick! Oh! oh so, so, so much blood! Uh oh, Help me! Help me! What did you do? And you know, I do hope I wasn't meant to chant something. He, he's dead! Oh well, for now.
1: You killed him! Murderer! Police! Ah,
2: quit it. He'll be fine. Oh, look, look, look. See, see? He's getting up now.
1: How can he... Ah!
2: Why is he standing up? He's dead! (laughs) How you feeling, Libby? What... what have you done? What did you think all this was about, Tyler? He's a... a... zombie? A zombified, yes. I wouldn't call him a... He's, He's Libby! Just as good as he ever was. A little more docile. Libby... Go and deliver the mail. Go and deliver the mail. Libby, are you okay?
1: You look really green.
0: I must deliver
2: the mail. You made him a zombie. I'm so glad you were paying attention. What if... What if he eats someone's brains? Oh, good gracious, man. What a revolting idea. Has Libby ever, ever evinced any desire to eat someone's brains? Hell no. I wouldn't have him on the payroll if he had. But but he's... Uh, He's Libby. Same as he ever was, only a bit dead and probably twice as good as his job. He ain't gonna take coffee breaks. He won't come in to work hungover. Won't slip out the back to smoke that loco weed. I will bet you, Tyler, bet you a week's pay that he has a perfect attendance record from here on in. First things first, we need to get him off the health plan. Get him off? Well, the man's dead, Tyler. He don't need Blue Cross.
1: This is unholy.
2: Now that's racist. Just cause these ain't artifacts from your religion. I mean, if this was a Lutheran spear, you wouldn't be saying that. You created a zombie. Well, Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave. Don't call him unholy. Now, now, who's next? I'm in the mood to go poking. You're insane. I say we go by the employee evaluation records. Anyone below a 65, three quarters running, jab him. This is just wrong. Well, you get an evaluation too, Tyler. You wouldn't want that to go down, would you? Certainly not below a 65. Well, when I say wrong. Cost effective. True. We could go to a second shift. Third shift, even. Round the clock. No union breaks. No sick days.
1: The perfect employee. Do you realize the implications of this?
2: Ungodly meddling with the afterworld.
1: This could be the future of corporate America.
2: <laughs> you know, I knew you'd come around. Well, certainly better than outsourcing their jobs. They should be damn grateful. Lifetime employment. And beyond. And beyond. (laughs)
1: Uh, Janet, send in that new receptionist, would you?
0: End of play. That was Zombified by Arthur M. Jolly. We caught up with Arthur a week or so ago, and of course the first question we had to ask him was, so uh, where did the idea for this come from?
3: a long and tortured history it actually started out as a feature length screenplay that I wrote on spec um, and the characters in this are pretty much the bad guy and his henchman in the screenplay um, which was about a high school girl who gets a, an internship at a corporation and she is practically homeless living in a, a trailer with her mum and gets this chance to, to move up into the business world and then discovers that her boss is nefariously creating zombies as the ideal workforce. You know, they don't need to sleep, they don't, don't get, take sick days. You know, how could you turn that down? So it, it started out as a screenplay. I sent it to my agents and they had some comments, but it, they weren't really fired up about it. And I can, I can see their point. Uh, it was a tough, tough thing to sell. But I loved the characters and I loved especially this bad guy. So I ended up writing a, a short play, which was produced uh, in a couple of places. The first time I really heard it read was actually uh, at a place called the Avatar Repertory Company on Second Life. So it's all digital characters reading. I don't play the game. I don't understand the online Role-playing world. I'm, much. I'm unfamiliar
0: with that with that medium. They, wait, they had characters read by, by it, electronic. Well, Second Life
3: is you know it's it's one of these online simulated things where you get to create your own avatar and live their life and do things. And apparently, a group of them are also theater geeks as well as being online role-playing geeks, <laughs> and set up this acting company for their little avatar characters. So they had a, a staged reading of four or five one act plays, including Zombified, where they were reading while their little avatar characters are sitting around holding programmed avatar scripts oh <laughs>
0: <And it's, laughs> yes. uh, th- this this goes beyond postmodernism
3: oh I, I loved it I loved getting a peek in on this world and just
0: wow like, that's that's incredible. I I don't know if I'm horrified by that or amazed.
3: Yeah, and now it's coming from online. It's been done on stage in New York by Nylon Fusion Collective. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it's going to radio. So a little bit of everything.
0: Not bad for a zombie. This play is getting a lot of life. (laughs) Did you work in corporate America? Does that have anything to do with this? Because I worked in corporate America for about 1,050 years, and... Honestly, this play does seem like it is a possibility that somebody would attempt to do.
3: Um, it's interesting. I've never worked in corporate America, but I am on the board of directors of a family-owned company, so I get to see it from the other side, and um, you know, be in board meetings and talk to the management. So right. I see that side of it. So having the you know the attraction of of drone zombies to do the actual work you know that definitely comes out of that experience well not that i think any of them would actually want that Uh,
0: well you never know i mean having the perfect worker somebody who never tires somebody who never complains somebody you don't have to pay benefits for because face it they're already dead
1: They don't need blue cross
0: exactly i mean they're not going to be facebooking unless there's facebook for zombies but you never know Okay, zombies, right? It seems it seems like America, at least, has been overwhelmed with zombie this, zombie that. I mean, we've had 28 days, 28 days later, we've got The uh, the Walking Dead going into whichever season it's going into right now. We've even had Pride and Prejudice and zombies, all right? Which, I mean, might be, the, I don't know, the zenith, the nadir of zombie lore, that sort of thing. Is there a... Uh, I
3: think it's grasping at straws. It it Um, might be. It might be. Yeah. Are you a zombie fan or? I'm not. In the play and in the screenplay, the zombies aren't your traditional eating people zombies. They are people who have been, had the humanity removed from them. It sounds utterly pretentious, but, you know, if you can't be pretentious as a playwright, what's the point? Exactly. Um, To me, it it was a question of what are you willing to give up to make it? financially in this world, to make it in corporate America, to make it however you choose to define that. And so this was a situation where where people are giving up their humanity to earn a living. That to me is a much more frightening kind of zombie than the lurching back from the dead and eating your grandmother type.
0: Exactly. It's also a lot scary because it seems like that's what's happening these days anyhow, because workforce around the world is being sold out for... Easier and cheaper means of production, so people have to scrape harder and harder to maintain some kind of a living. Usually, once you do that, you have to give stuff up along the way. So we are kind of talking about the dehumanization of worldwide workforce.
3: Yeah. So, and, you know, in a very silly, lighthearted way, I did want to touch on that.
0: I was looking through your resume and looking through the plays that you've written, and it seems to me that you tend to favor strong female characters. And I know from talking to dozens of playwrights and dozens of uh, female actors, one of the large complaints is that there are no roles for women of, I don't know, A, a certain age, B, a certain ethnicity, C, females in general. And I don't even want to start getting into Shakespeare because that's a whole different kind of thing. But you seem to favor that. Is that deliberate? Um, why? It's
3: It's not a mercenary choice. It's not that I, you know, I sat down and said, oh, let me write roles for women because those are the kind of plays that uh, are more likely to get produced now or that people are looking for. It's entirely something that I think comes out of my childhood. Um, I had two older sisters who are very accomplished in their fields, and my mother was pretty much the world's foremost authority on the lemurs of Madagascar. So she went to Madagascar every year for 50 years, um, had a little research site and knew every animal in it for, you know, four or five generations and followed their troops. It was kind of the Jane Goodall um, of of lemurs rather than uh, chimpanzees. But, you know, I, I grew up with a mother who had not just her own career, but a very respected career, who was a, a professor at various universities and, you know, went tramping around Madagascar, starting as when she was a college student um, at Yale. Uh, so I, I just grew up thinking that, well, of course, your mother knows absolutely everything there is to know about <laughs> just about anything you could ask her. She was an incredible woman. So I, that probably, I mean, that did affect it. I tend to think of when I'm writing roles, okay, now I'm, now I'm totally rethinking what I'm thinking. It's
0: an interesting choice. I mean, it's, I tend to write strong female characters myself and largely because my mother was also an extremely strong personality and had a great effect upon my life. I mean, most of the things that still drive me are edicts and pearls of wisdom you know that she basically threw at me from across the room but i also find that once i start writing a protagonist they be they start to have added dimensions specifically because now they are saddled with the baggage that women have had to deal with every single day i'm not saying i understand what it's like to be a woman all i'm saying is so once you start writing that and you are aware of the women around you, you start writing, I particularly tend to start writing more complex characters, so I tend to favor that. Basically what I'm saying is, I'm being totally sexist here, is so I think women are a hell of a lot more interesting and more complicated than men.
3: I think if you're, you're writing in for theatre, where it is about human relationships, there is, there is. I can't say this it's more complex, women are more complex, but if you're creating a character, there is sometimes more to work from. Also as a, as a male writing female roles, it forces you to try and think differently and say, okay, how, is this char- how does this character think differently from the way I think? Right. What are the different assumptions they have? What is the different experience? And that purely on a technical writing level forces you to spend more time thinking about your character and developing it. So yeah, writing someone Who's more like you is a cop out. It's too easy, which means you don't tend to put the work in. Which means you tend up tend to end up with a less interesting, less fully developed character than if you spend the effort to to try and uh, create someone who thinks differently from the way that you think. Again,
0: going through your website, and I find these incredible pictures. And I got to ask you about two of them. Okay. A, a you're on fire, and B. You're flying helicopters into the Grand Canyon. Let's go with the one where you're on fire first.
3: Wow, okay, yes, pre This wasn't, a, this wasn't a,
0: a, a celebration gone wrong. You didn't get too close to the barbecue or something, did you?
3: I started out as a special effects artist and stuntman in movies back in New York in the uh, late 80s and 90s. And I did that for about 10 years. So I've been on fire more than most people. Um, and crashed cars and, you know, thrown out of buildings, pretty much you name it, and I did it. And then I got tired of freelance work, of, of sort of, you know, you get one day on a film and you're set for that month, but you don't know if you're going to have another day the next month or not. So I wanted a job that was a steady paycheck, but still as interesting as doing stunts. So I moved to uh, San Francisco Bay Area and became a helicopter pilot. Flew helicopters for about eight years, uh, went down to Alabama and flew for the army and ended up in Las Vegas flying tourists out to the Grand Canyon four times a day, which was wonderful flying. I, I, you will never get tired of flying a helicopter down into the bottom of the Grand Canyon and landing next to the river. But I was done with the tourists after about a week. Yeah, I'll,
0: I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking wind shear would probably just age me in about a second
3: you You start to learn where the the, the weather patterns are that's in, and in a helicopter that's not a problem Right. Um, but if you're ever going to take that trip, do the first one or two in the morning, even though you have to get up it will be smooth and pleasant and then in the middle after mid afternoon it starts bouncing you around gotcha.
0: um, yeah, sure. do, yeah. Mm-hmm. so t- talking about the tourists um... Any of them particularly stand out so much that you put them into a play?
3: Not yet. It will happen.
0: <laughs> okay.
3: But I, I, I had to, I was, uh, when I was flying, I was actually narrating what we were seeing, what we were flying over for 45 minutes there and back. And I used to make stuff up. Because there are big <laughs> patches where nothing is happening. You're flying over the desert. You know, you, you, yeah, I...
0: I, I always wondered about tour guides, whether or not they made stuff up. Um, give us an example. Come on.
3: Oh, there was a ridge line with an interesting uh, uh, rock formation in it. This one I actually got from one of the other pilots uh, when I was doing my training. He's like, oh, this uh, there's a earthquake fault behind it that is pushing that mountain westwards. And in a couple of million years, that will actually be in California. And I told people that. I, I think I embellished it at one point. I found out the other guy had made it up as well. I wasn't having it it's just one of those dead patches with nothing to look at.
0: So, Arthur M. Jolly, thank you so much for joining us on on stage, off stage. It's been a thrill, and we absolutely loved Zombified. And good luck with your work in the future, and try not to get set on fire again. I do
3: my best, and thank you so much for having me.
0: As usual, we close our show with the Onstage Offstage Arts Calendar. But first, I want to remind everyone to check our website, onstageoffstage.org, for the full podcast of all of our interviews. And to encourage everyone within listening distance to sign up for our mailing list. Just hit us with an email. Address it to info at onstageoffstage.org with your request, and you will be added post-haste and forthwith. All right, kids, hang on, because here we go. Currently playing at the Kitchen Theatre is Stephen Dietz's play, Lonely Planet. Lonely Planet runs until November 2nd. For tickets and information, please visit kitchentheater.org or give them a call at 272-0570. And tonight is the second evening of the first production of the Homecoming Players' brand new season. And that play is Amy and David Sedaris' work, The Book of Liz. That's it, kids. Tonight is the last night to catch it. The Book of Wiz is at the Kitchen Theater. For information, please visit homecomingplayers.org or kitchentheater.org. And Ithaca College presents its second production of the season, the Frank Lesser musical, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying opens on the 6th and runs until the 13th. For tickets and info, go to ithaca.ticketforce.com or through the Ithaca College box office located in the Dillingham Center. The Dillingham box office is open Monday to Friday from noon to 5 p.m., and their phone number is 607-274-3224. The Ithaca Shakespeare Company's all-female production of Julius Caesar. Julius will be stabbed in the back by her friends and colleagues until November 16th at Fall Creek Studios. 1201 North Tioga Street. For tickets and information, please visit IthacaShakespeare.com o-r-g and that is going to be it for the onstage offstage arts calendar as always kids grab yourself a real good friend and go have yourself some amazing theater and we'll see you next time
1: W R F I Watkins Glen